Uh, good morning, brothers and sisters. It is super to be with you this morning. You're going to want to go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, find your place there. We're going to be walking through that text, which I'll just be honest, I'm thrilled about this morning to be able to walk through this with you, my church family. So looking forward to that. And I uh, just got to say, I, we have officially entered my favorite time of the year, and I know a lot of you could resonate with that. Some of you are like, I don't know, there's a lot of pressure during this time of year, all these deadlines, all that stuff. I get that, but man, I love this time of year. I love everything about it. I love the music that we just sang. I love the trees and the decorations and the presents, and I love everything about this season. Now, I, I got to say, I, I'm a little bit proud of our family. We've gotten ahead of the game a little bit, already got our tree up, already got a lot of our presents bought, already got our outside lights on our house, yeah? It's not to, meant to be a conviction, but you guys need to get with it. And if you're wondering, yes, a strand of lights has already burned out on the front of my house. We live in a fallen world. That's okay. Our heart and our mind are set on greater things than whether or not my lights burn well in the front of my house. So we love this time of year. Do Jesus followers celebrate Christmas? Yes. But followers of Jesus ought to celebrate this time of year very differently than the world around us. See, this time of year for us is an opportunity to, to worship the King who has come, and at the same time, with great anticipation, we are looking for the King who is coming again. Now, I know Jim's excited about that. I hope a few of others are excited about that. Thanks, Jim. That was encouraging. I hope this season for us is characterized by the overflow and the reality that we worship a king who has come. He's come as a suffering servant, as a baby. We sing about that, we talk about that, and at the same time, we are anticipating, we're looking ahead to this king who is coming again. Man, may that characterize this season for us. See, Advent, as we start Advent today as a church and we kick off Advent, Advent has been a rhythm of the church for centuries to help us do what I just described. The next month for us, Pastor Paul's just talked about it, I'm not going to talk at great length about it, Advent is designed for us together to do what, what I just said. Help us to remember, to worship our King who has come and all that's involved with that. And at the same time, anticipate our great King who is coming again. And therefore, everything else through the season is fun and we can enjoy it, but it's not ultimate. King Jesus is ultimate. And we need that. We need that sharpening. So we remember, that's where this little tagline comes from. We, we remember so that we will anticipate, so that we will look ahead. 
Now, my family practices this a little bit in kind of a unique way. We, I don't know when you open presents or what that looks like at your house, but we, we open just a, like really one present on Christmas Eve, and it's always the same thing. It's always our Christmas pajamas. That's what we do every Christmas Eve. Maybe some of you guys do that. Last Christmas, we got our Christmas pajamas, and it's kind of themed out. My wife is great about this. It was Dallas Cowboy Christmas pajamas. It was the best ever. Now watch. But one of the realities of when we're opening that present on Christmas Eve is my kids know it, and I know it. There's more to come the next day. As we celebrate Christmas, that's our heart and that's our mindset. Man, we rejoice in our King who has come. We rejoice in the cross and the resurrection. And at the same time, we know there is more to come that our King will return again and make all things new. Come, Lord Jesus. It's the heart of Advent. It's why we celebrate Advent together. Second reason we celebrate Advent, this is for all of us, is it is a time to tune our hearts. My heart is a little bit like a musical instrument. I'm not highly musical, but I know that an instrument will get out of tune just naturally. You don't have to do anything. It just gets out of tune. has to be retuned. has to be realigned to something that happens to you that happens to me. Advent is an opportunity, like a musical instrument, for us to retune our hearts to what is ultimate. Plenty of good things to focus on, yes. But Lord, let my heart focus on the ultimate thing above all things. So that I can rightly enjoy everything else. Let me tell you what hit me this week a little bit. Maybe you guys know this. It is during this season of the year... And I think you feel this. I think you know this. It's during this season of the year, I think probably more than any other season of the year, we are bombarded with more messages, more ads, more things telling us, back to what Pastor Paul was saying earlier, watch, telling us what we should want, telling us what we should be doing, telling us what we should be thinking, and telling us how we should feel during this season of the year. You are being discipled by the world. And man, we feel it this time of year. Here's what you need to want. Here's what you should really log for. If you just had this thing, man, everything would be great. Here's what you should do. Here's what you should be longing for. Here's how you should think. Here's how you should feel. By the way, if you don't believe me, $3.7 billion dollars will be spent just this Christmas season on advertising. Doing what? Telling you what you should want, what you should do, what you should think, how you should feel. We just need to be aware of that. So for us as Christians, the call is no. I want my longings, I want my thinking, I want my affections, I, I want my, all, all my actions to be primarily shaped by the Word of God. That's a really good place for an amen. That we as God's people, we feel this discipling that's going on in our lives around us constantly, but we say to one another, no, let us challenge and encourage one another, particularly during this season. Let us 
our hearts, our emotions, our thoughts, our actions. Today we're going to talk particularly about our longings, what we want. Let those be shaped primarily by God's living word. I mean, let that be your prayer this season. And then finally about Advent really quick, and Paul's mentioned this, but I just want to say it again for this purpose. The cool thing is we get to do all this together. We're a church. We we spur one another on in these things. We spur one another on to tune our hearts to that which is ultimate. So let me give you a little challenge. During this Advent season, don't just think like a disciple. Oh, how am I growing? How is my heart being tuned? Yes, think that way. But think also as a disciple maker. How is my family? How are my brothers and sisters in Christ? How can we spur one another on? Help one another take the next step in Christ to tune our hearts that our longings and our thinkings and our doings and our feelings are primarily shaped by the eternal living word of God. Amen. That's Advent. That's what we're pursuing together. We're going to begin this morning in Isaiah chapter 9. and We're going to walk down through these six or seven verses here. and There's going to be a big truth. It's going to be consistent with the big truth in the FDP for you as families to talk over this. Let the message today just to be the beginning of the conversation for you to have with your families around the tables and in the car and students will be doing the same or kids will be doing the same. You can pull these resources out so there's a season of alignment. So Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to read down through these verses, but here's the question for you this morning. What is it right now above anything else that you are longing for. (laughs) Just be real honest in your own thing. Look back over the last week. Look back over your time spent. What is it above anything else in your life right now you are desiring, you are longing for? Webster defines it this way. Longing or wanting is a strong desire or craving for something not yet attained, something I don't yet have. And the thought is, if I had it, if I achieved it, if I got it, all will be well. What is that thing you're longing for? Christmas is a season of longing, of wanting. Maybe we want a better year in 2023. Maybe you're longing for a better job. Maybe you're longing for the stock market to perform a little better than it has. Maybe you're longing for a stronger marriage. Maybe you're longing for a marriage. Maybe you're longing for a date. I don't know. Wherever you are. What is that thing that you are primarily longing for more than any other? So here's a reality about you and me this morning. A characteristic of our humanness is that we have longings. We have wants. We have desires. That's a reality of being a human. We all relate to that. We get that. At the same time, a distinguishing mark of a Jesus follower is the ongoing transformation of our longings to come in line with God's Word. That's Christian growth for you and me, by the way. That my longings today are very different than they were five years ago, two years ago, six months ago, last month. Why? Because of the impact of God's Word and God's people and God's presence in my life. 
a characteristic of the Jesus follower is the ongoing transformation of our longings by God's word. Let me give you an example. You don't have to look these up. You can mark them down. You can read them on your own if you want. Psalm 73, 25. Here's an example of a follower whose longing is ultimately for God himself. Psalm 73, 25 says this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That is a longing shaped by God's word and God's presence. Psalm 63, 1. God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You know what that is? That's someone's longings, someone's wants that have been shaped by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. Is that true for us? New Testament example, really quick. The Apostle Paul said it this way. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. And may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. Verse 10, this is Philippians 3. That I may know Him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul is an example of a man through his life who is being continually transformed. His longings and his wants and his desires are being shaped by the word of God. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? True for us, that's, a, that's something Advent helps us with. This morning we're talking particularly about those things that we long for, those things that we want for. What is it that's shaping your longing and influencing your longings right now above everything else? So we come to Isaiah chapter 9, and in light of all that, you say, okay, what, what's going on here in Isaiah 9? Well, in Isaiah 9 you have a people who were desperately longing for something. God's people, Israel. You have Israel here who have been consistently longing for lesser things. In other words, as God's people, they've been called to long for Him above all things. And their pattern has been to consistently long for these lesser things. Maybe even some good things that they've made a God thing. And they're now living with the outcome of this consistent pattern of longing and wanting lesser things. What does it look like? Jeremiah, 20, or Jeremiah 2, you don't have to turn there, but it gives an example of what we're getting ready to read. It says, here is the condition of the heart. He says, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. They're seeking lesser things. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. Here's a description of their longings. He says, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out, or they have dug out cisterns, wells for themselves, broken wells that can hold no water. That's a picture of misplaced longings. That's a picture of a consistent pattern of longing for these lesser things which ultimately cannot satisfy the human soul. The soul of the follower of God. The soul of a, of a Christ follower. 
He says, it's like my people have walked away from this fountain of living water that's flowing, this life-giving water, like this mountain spring, and they've gone over here to this old pit, and they've started to try to dig it, and it doesn't even hold water, as if that will satisfy them. That's a picture of misplaced longings, of wanting things that may even be good, but they can't be ultimate in our lives. Isaiah 8 that sets up Isaiah 9 gives a description of some of the things that's going on here. He says, verse 6 of Isaiah 8, really quick, he says, Because this people has re- have refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently, that rejoice over Rezin, the son of Remaliah. What in the world is that talking about? They have begun to trust in foreign alliances and foreign kings for their protection. Then he says in verse 13 of chapter 8, I love this verse. Reminder from the prophet Isaiah, he says to God's people, it is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. Why are you looking to these other things to provide this ultimate satisfaction? Why are you longing for these other things as if they are ultimate? He says, he shall be your fear. He shall be your dread. You shall regard him above all things as holy in your life. It's the picture then you come to Isaiah 9, or 8, 22, and then we're going to dive into Isaiah 9. It says this, and they, God's people, here's their condition. Here's the outcome of seeking lesser things. He says, and they will look to the earth, but behold the stress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. That was the condition of the people of Israel as we open up the chapter 9 of Isaiah. See, Paul said this at the welcome. I'm not sure you caught it. It was really good. He said this. Here's why it's so important for us to be talking about our longings from the Word of God. What you find yourself longing for most reveals the condition of your heart and directs the steps of your life. See, whatever this morning you find yourself longing and wanting ultimately reveals much about the condition of our hearts and that is what that is the course of your life you will make decisions based on that is it ultimate is it a spring of living water christ or is it lesser things and what does that look like what's the outcome of that isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 i'm going to read about seven verses here give you a big truth and a few big ideas that flow out of this follow with me isaiah 9 1 Even in their condition, chapter 9, verse 1 begins with the word, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. You find a people who were walking in darkness, but at the same time you find a God who is pursuing them. You find a God who is pursuing them even in their sin and rejection. He says, in the former time, he, God, brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. What in the world's going on? When you come to passages like this, don't just stop it. I have no idea what's going on here. He's speaking as an outcome of their rejection and an outcome of their seeking lesser things. A nation from the north has come in, the Assyrians. Geographically, they've hit the northern tribes of Israel first. They are under bondage to the Assyrians. What are those tribes? Zebulun and Naphtali, that's the point. 
Then he's going to say, that's why the people now are in bondage. They are in darkness. They're living of the fruit of their poor decisions of seeking lesser things. But then he's going to begin to peer into the future in the middle of verse 1. He says, but in the latter time, and with the voice of prophecy, he's looking to their hope. What he's calling them to long for. This is glorious. He says, but in the latter times, he, God, has made glorious the way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the nations. He's saying the same region that is now under captivity is one day going to, be, to, to put on display the glory of God. He says it's Galilee. Where ultimately we know was the headquarters of the ministry of Jesus. And from there the nations were touched. We know that's the reference of the promise he's making. Verse 2. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in deep darkness on them a light has shone. Verse 3. You, God, have multiplied to the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they were glad when they divide the spoil. You say, wait a minute, is this past tense, future tense? What's going on here? This was written 2,700 years ago when Israel was still in captivity to the Assyrians. But with, listen, this is huge. But with the voice of prophecy, he's speaking of a future reality as if it's already happened. God's going to come and keep His promise. He's going to send a deliverer. And He's saying you are to look with anticipation. Your hope, your longings are to be in Him and the promises of God. He says, you, God, have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy, looking ahead to something coming in the future. Verse 4. How's He going to do that? Well, how's He going to bring this joy? Verse 4. 4. The yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. I know this is metaphorical language. This is prophetic, poetic language. What does he mean here? He means that God in his future promises is going to defeat the enemy. At this time when it was written, the nation of Israel is under the oppression of an enemy. But he's saying there's one coming. He's going to defeat all your enemies. Like Gideon, he's making reference to Gideon here in the time of the Midianites came and defeated God's enemies. There's one coming who will defeat your enemies. Verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now I guarantee that's probably not a verse you put on your refrigerator. Unless you're, well maybe you do, I don't know. It's poetic language, prophetic language saying there is one coming who will take the instruments of warfare and do away with them because he will bring peace. Point. There's one coming who will in institute peace and those weapons, these battle tools will no longer be necessary. They'll be thrown into the fire. Verse 6, how's he going to carry all this out? For unto us a child is born. Now I have to imagine, just using my imagination a little bit, that maybe you're Israel 2,600 years ago and you hear this prophetic message from Isaiah and you say, yes, there's going to be one who's going to come and defeat the enemies and there's going to be one who's going to come and establish peace. And the next line, and it's going to be a baby. 
and you're going, uh, how about a tank? Or, or maybe some soldiers. No. God's ways are not our ways. He says, this hope is going to be in my promise, and I'm going to keep my promise all the way back to Abraham that a son will be given, a, a descendant, a child is going to be born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. As you hear this passage, you have to remember Israel has suffered for years and years and years under evil kings who have let them down. They've lost all trust in their government, if you will. But he's saying one day there's one coming who the government will rest on his shoulders and he will rule and reign rightly. Come, Lord Jesus. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. I just love that song we just sang where we're singing the names of God to create this anticipation for us and who He is. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of His government and of peace there shall be no end. Israel, your hope is to be beyond your current circumstances in the promises of God of one who is coming. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. Middle of verse 7. Why does it say that? What does that mean? Remember, this is written to Jews who know their Old Testament and the promises of God from Abraham to David that a king is going to come through that line. And listen, at this point in Israel's history, under the captivity of the Assyrians, soon to come that captivity of the Babylonians, they're not sure God's going to even be able to keep His promise. And Isaiah says, oh no. God's going to keep His promise, and one is going to come and fulfill exactly the way God described it. He's going to come from David. He's going to rule on the throne of David and over his kingdom. He's going to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever. And if you were tending to think at that point, and you're maybe an Israelite, and you're hearing that, and you say, the circumstances sure don't look like that, God. I hear what you're saying, Isaiah. How's all that going to be accomplished? I love the end of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies, who has ultimate authority and ultimate power, His zeal, His plan, His purposes will be carried out. You can rest in Him. So it is to say to Israel, at this point in your history, when you're currently living in the consequences of your misplaced longings, where is your hope? What are you longing for? Is it just that your circumstances change? Or are you longing for that one who is promised that will come and change everything? That's the point. So that brings us to our big truth, and then quickly I'll give you a few quick big ideas that flow out of that. Here's your big truth. It's going to guide us today. This is consistent with your FTP. This is consistent with things you can talk through at home. I encourage you to do that. It's this. Jesus' followers long for the king. 
description of us as followers of Christ during this season, during any time of year, is that we are longing for the King above all things. Do we long for other things? Of course, but they're lesser. Ultimately in your life, the Scripture is calling us to long for the King. What is it that you are longing for right now above anything else? What is it in your life right now that's influencing your longings above all things? And for us as God's people this morning, what is it that we can find to direct our longings back to that which is ultimate? So here's what I'm going to do. You can write these down. I don't know how far we're going to get. We may cover three, four, five of them or so. And I'm going to give you a few things this morning from this passage of reasons to long for King Jesus above all things. Give you a few of these reasons. These are just going to be big ideas. Jesus' followers long for the king. That's our big truth. Okay, what does that look like? I'm going to give you a few things. Back to verse 1. Isaiah 9.1 says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he, this is God, brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Here's your first big idea. Brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, may we long for the King who has the power to rescue. Now I want you to see something here that's applicable to our lives, and this is huge for you and me this morning. Israel finds itself in the condition that it's in here for two reasons. One, God has allowed it to happen by the Assyrians coming as discipline to his people because he loves them that much. He's pursuing them. And they're there because of the choices they've made to pursue lesser things. They've put their hope in things that can never satisfy. They're trusting that well that can't even hold water. They've made good things in their life, God things. And they've come to the place now in Isaiah 9 where they realize they'll never satisfy. And God in His grace has said, but turn your hope to the one who can ultimately satisfy. And here's what that means for you and me this morning. All of us have the tendency to pursue lesser things and want lesser things and allow our wants and our longings to be more informed by the world than the Word of God. And here's what happens. There is the law of the harvest. So you just lost me. Did you, what just happened there? We will reap what we sow. Meaning a, a pattern in our lives, even as followers of Christ, when we continue to pursue these things that are lesser instead of the ultimate person of Christ as ultimate, there's going to be a season that the fruit of that sowing those seeds will come to bear. It may be weeks, it may be months, and you find yourself, these things I put my hope in, they don't satisfy and, I've, and I'm now in bondage to these things that I've thought were going to be these things in my life. And Lord, what do I do? Here's the message from Isaiah and the message to you. To this people who find themselves in that situation, guess what? God continues to pursue them in His grace. So for you this morning, are you currently in your life living in a, status, a place, a season maybe, where you realize, Lord, as your follower... I've been distracted. I've been chasing lesser things. I realize they don't satisfy. What do I do this morning? 
know that the God of heaven, because of his covenant, is still pursuing you. And your response and my response this morning is the same call to Israel. Repent from those things you are trusting in more than the king of heaven and turn in faithfulness and run to the one who can deliver you. That's a tuning of our hearts. And by the way, I encourage us to help one another with those kind of things. As disciple makers, brother, sister, I see you. Man, I know you want this thing so much, and it's not even a bad thing. And I know you want this person so much, or whatever it may be. But understand, that may not be a bad thing, but that will not ultimately satisfy you. Let me steer you to the one who will. So for us, may we long for the King who has the power to rescue in Him and Him alone. Secondly, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness seen a great light. Those who dwell in the, the land of deep darkness, on them a light is shown. So this metaphor, we know this light, dark metaphor, what happened? They not pay their power bill? I mean, what's the power out? What's this all about? No, light and darkness is a word picture. We know that for truth and deception. They've been following lies. They've been walking in the deception of thinking this is going to ultimately satisfy. And, it's, and God says, but there's one coming who, will, who is the light. So for us, big idea the second one is this God help us as your people to long for the king who is the light in the darkness some of you in this room the application for that this morning is you don't know Christ at all and you are walking in the darkness of sin and rebellion and our prayer for you this morning is the light of the glory of God you will see Christ as ultimately sufficient and turn from your sin and run to him as savior amen And there are some of you who are following Jesus this morning and you know him. And the Spirit of God dwells inside of you and you've been born again. But you are in a season of your life, watch this, currently where sin has the upper hand. And if you were real honest, it's a season where you're like, I can't get out of this darkness. I'm trying to break out of this. And the battle and the struggle is there. And the same message is the message to you this morning. Run to the king. Long for the king who is the light in the darkness of that deception and the darkness of that sin. You repent of that. Run to that. Immerse yourself in the truth of God's word. He is the light in your darkness of deception. You say, I've tried a thousand different things. Okay, and I know it's a struggle. I know it's a battle. Here's the message. He is the light in that darkness. Run to the light. Immerse yourself in his truth. Verse 3, quickly. It says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. Again, he's speaking to a current situation, but future circumstance when the king comes. You have multiplied the nation, he says. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Here's your third big idea. Long for the king who is the source of joy. God in his grace says, have you forgotten 
You are longing for these things that you think will bring you ultimate joy. And now you find yourself at this place of despair. And he holds this one out, our king who is coming and says, he is the one who will bring joy. What is the object of your joy this morning? Listen, everyone's trying to find joy. Everyone's longing for joy. But joy is not an emotion. It is God with us. It is not just a circumstance or getting out of a circumstance. It is the person who is even in the midst of that circumstance. Christ Jesus, our King. Here's the challenge for you and I during this season. Let's spur one another on. Hey, are you longing ultimately? For the person and the work and the word and the presence of Christ, He is that source of ultimate joy you're longing for. He's it. It's long for the King who is our ultimate source of joy. Sake of time, let's skip verse 4 and 5, jump on up to verse 6 quickly. I'll give you just a couple more. Says this verse 6, and we could spend a whole series on this, this next two verses, but I'm going to try to be as brief as I can. And again, I encourage you to spend time in this on your own, with your family, with others, your group. He says, okay, how do we continue to long for the king? Verse 6, he says, for unto us a child is born. One's coming. He's going to be born. We have the, the privilege of looking back and saying it's already happened. We know that. For, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name. Stop right there. Why does it say name? In the Hebrew mindset, remember, name is a whole lot more than just, well, that's what we call him. No, it means character. So what Isaiah is revealing here is the character of this one with four different phrases that point to the glory of Christ. This is worship territory right here. He says, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Here's your next big idea. God, help us to long for the King who is infinitely glorious. Behold Him. We gather like this and we behold Him. His name shall be. He gives four names here with a descriptor on each one. Let me go through these really quick, man. Spend some time here on your own. He says His name is Wonderful Counselor. The word wonderful has the idea, I love this, the word wonderful, it's used in the book of Judges as well. It's something in the idea like this. Out of this world. Not of this world. Supernatural. Counselor is the idea of a source of wisdom. A source of direction. He is saying there is one coming who will give you wisdom and direction. That is a wisdom and direction that is not of this world. You won't find it from the cultural narrative of today. You will not find it from the sources of the world. He says he, his nature, his character is wonderful counselor. Unlike any other human ruler, perfect wisdom, perfect plans, unlimited perspective, perfectly righteous and good. He is your wonderful counselor. Run to him. Brothers and sisters, are you lacking stability? Does everything feel shaky? Are you lacking direction? 
The question for you and I then this morning as followers of Christ, are you longing then ultimately for your wonderful counselor who provides a counsel and a wisdom and a direction for his people that is out of this world? It's not like this world. God help us long for him. Long for his word. This wonderful counselor. Secondly, mighty God. The idea of mighty is unlimited power. God is the idea of no, no limit, unequal. Yes, this one that is coming is at the same time 100% man, 100% God. He is unlike any other. He has unlimited power. Israel at this time, they've got to be thinking, Lord, how are you going to get us out of this situation with Assyria? Do you even have the power to do it? He said, one is coming who is mighty God. Unlimited in power. Are you lacking strength? Do you need help? Have you sought all the things of the world? Run, long for the one who is great in counsel, wonderful counselor, and the one who is mighty indeed, this everlasting Father. That's the next phrase, mighty God, everlasting Father. Everlasting is the idea of having no end. Father is this idea of perfect care, perfect protection, perfect provision for His people. Brothers and sisters, are you lacking security? Are you lacking identity? Are you lacking family? Are you feeling threatened and vulnerable? Run to this one who is your eternal Father. Long for Him above all others. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and finally, and we'll wrap up with this. I love this. He is the Prince of Peace. The Bible describes Him as the Prince of Peace. Quickly, the idea of peace here again in the Hebrew mindset is not merely the absence of conflict. Peace, as it's used here really throughout the Bible, particularly when Jesus says it, is the idea of wholeness. It is an absence of conflict, but it's more. It's harmony in relationships. It's well-being. It's divine favor and a rightness with God. For Israel, it is the completeness of God's redemptive plan. And he says he's the prince of it, meaning he's the one who will administer it. He's the one who will have the authority to carry it out in our lives. This one who is coming is the prince of completeness and wholeness. Are you looking for that which brings wholeness to your soul? Long for the prince of peace above all other things. Amen. And finally, the last big idea, and the team can just come on up and begin to play. We're going to conclude with this. Verse 7. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there's that idea again, this wholeness, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom in perfect fulfillment of God's promise to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever. And God's zeal is going to carry it out. Here's your final big idea. Brothers and sisters, long for the king who is coming again. So we remember the king who has come, we turn our attention during this Advent season again, just like First and Second Peter, to look and be reminded, are we longing for this king who is coming again? Watch. There are aspects of God's promise in Scripture that will not be fulfilled until he returns again. 
There are longings in your heart and longings in my heart that will never be satisfied fully until our King returns in glory. Long for Him. There are situations and circumstances in our lives that may not change. We long for the King to return and come again. We long for Him. Let's long for this King who is coming again. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 says it this way. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, speaking of His first coming, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin. He's already dealt with sin on the cross. But to save those who eagerly wait for Him. Come, Lord Jesus. And our old friend Peter. We spent the whole year with Peter. But let's just be reminded what he says. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 and 13. But the day of the Lord will come. Like a thief. And the heavens will pass away with a roar. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Brothers and sisters, followers of Christ, we long for our King. And I pray for us, I pray for you, I pray for me. And even through the Word of God this morning, we are awakened of the condition of our soul. What are we longing for above all things? God, let my longings be supremely for you. And I pray we spur one another on. And as disciple makers, let's help one another. Keep King Jesus at that place where we long for him supremely above all things. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Take these songs, take this truth. Lord, grow us as your people. God, I pray you stir in us longings that we celebrate this season of the year differently than the world around us. We rejoice that you have already come. And King Jesus, we long and we wait that you will come again. Come, Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.